out and put that in the offering plate uh, as it goes past and we'll get back in touch with you with uh, any information that, you, that we can provide uh, about Central uh, this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us. We have um, a, a wonderful announcement that uh, this week John Alexander Sinecki was born uh, to Christy and Stosh. Uh, Christy Craddock and Stash Seneki. So we're so excited for that. We rejoice with them uh, in the birth of their, uh, their baby boy. And uh, hopefully before long, we'll get to see them. So um, you'll, uh, you'll find uh, lots of other uh, things going on in your news and notes uh, in, inside the bulletin. Uh, next week uh, on Saturday, we're going to play wiffle ball and watermelon. And that's going to be, and have watermelon. We're not going to play watermelon. We're going <laughs> to play with ball and eat watermelon so you can do one or the other or both or whatever it's going to be great um, one of the things we've been doing lately is we've been reading this book uh, southernmost by silas house uh, and if you haven't had a chance to join in with the book group that's fine it's a great read um, and uh, and it's wonderful and most everybody i've talked to is like once you get to a point like you just cannot put it down because it's really uh, such a good book uh, by uh, a kentucky author uh, so we'll uh, have maybe one more group meeting with that um, later on. Uh, we're trying to schedule and see if maybe there's a time when we can chat with the author a little bit about this. Um, but as I was reading this on the beach, which was apt because uh, the second half of the book takes place in Key West, and I wasn't in Key West, but I was on the beach. And uh, I was finishing it up, and I looked uh, at my... Uh, um, my bookmark that I was using that I pulled, which is an UNO card, um, but this is one of those newfangled UNO cards that you get in the packs just to confuse people where you can write down your own special instructions for somebody in your family. And after we kind of didn't get the idea of it, we wrote down some bad ideas on cards. We just don't use these anymore. So I used it as a, as a bookmark. And um, I'm sitting there reading this book that is about uh, change, about learning who you are, about accepting others, about um, these beautiful themes. And I look at this and it says, show everyone your cards. And I thought, oh, how apt is that to hear? And how beautiful is that that I feel like that this is a place where we can come and we can show our cards. We can be just who we are and we can know that we are accepted and we are loved. Um, not just because we say so, but because God says so. Because God invites us all uh, into this beautiful and beloved community. And so this morning, as we worship together, welcome uh, to the grace and the love that God invites us all to share together this morning. Let's worship.
please stand as you're able and join in the call to worship. In the name of Jesus Christ, as the people of God said long ago in the house of the Lord, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever and ever. I will thank God forever because of what God has done. In the presence of the faithful, we will proclaim <coughs> the Lord's name. Let us pray together. Lord God, you fill this room with your presence. I ask that you attune our hearts to that presence. Help us to shut out the competing chatter in our lives. Help us put aside our fears and insecurities to move beyond our ill-conceived and painful failures to overcome all that distracts us so that we may focus on the hope promised by the gospel on the faith required to envision the coming of your kingdom, on the power of your transforming love. May this focus, even for this one hour, inspire us to do better every day in seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with you, our God, and with our neighbors on this earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Time to pass the peace. <laughs> Please turn to your neighbor and pass the peace of Christ. Peace of Christ with you. As you probably uh, noticed over the past few weeks, we've uh, had some uh, changes in our prayer stations. We often have candles over to the sides where you can um, light a candle uh, to symbolize your prayer to God. But um, over the past uh, few weeks, um, we've had some boards up here that have notes from, uh, from you all uh, that say places that you have seen the Spirit of God moving, places where you have sensed uh, God's presence uh, this uh during these, uh, these past uh, few weeks. And so we're going to have some time in our service uh, for a little while for, to, uh, for you to come forward and to write some notes and to post those on the board as well so that we can lend all of our voices um, and maybe see other places where folks are noticing the presence of God uh, in us, among us, and beyond us. Um, what we're going to do during this time is I'm going to Play a, play a song and invite you to sing along. You'll find the words in your bulletin. It's really, really simple. Um, Martha's going to come and read scripture, and then we'll come back and sing the song again in between the scripture, and then uh, we'll finish up after, uh, after that time um, with, uh, with a few moments that you'll see for noticing God's presence. And during that time, you're invited, as I play quietly, to come forward and maybe uh, write something down. And then uh, after that, we'll sing uh, our offertory hymn together, and even during the offertory uh, or invitation later today, we'd invite you uh, to come down and to write a note then if you'd like to do that as well. So let's uh, uh, sing our song together. I'll play it once through, and then, uh, then you can join with me. trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain 
and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale. We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. The time is coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Open our ears, Lord. Open our ears, Lord. Open our ears, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts, if you'd like to come forward and to uh, write a note on uh, one of the boards um, and place that on there, you can do that. If not now, you're welcome to do that as well uh, a little later during our offertory time or our invitation too. But let's uh, take a few moments to uh, sink down into that place within ourselves where we might find the presence of the divine in our truest self that we might be able to show all of our cards. 
to be with the God who welcomes us as we are. Lord, hear our prayers. you if you want to sing uh, now with me uh, find in your hymnals number 692 you can just remain seated for this this hymn together as we sing and continue to open ourselves to the presence of God Spirit open my 
you to open our hearts to see again the fullness and the wonder of your grace, the depths of your welcome, that you welcome our entire selves, our entire beings. And we ask that you would give us the grace to offer that same welcome to others, to offer the same love and compassion and kindness that you have given to us. And so as we take time to offer back to you a little bit of these gifts, we ask that our gifts would be much more than, than money, but our gifts to you would be of our very selves. We thank you. We offer these prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.
As you are able, I invite you to stand with me for the hearing of the gospel lesson today, found in the 10th chapter of the gospel of Luke, here at the end of this wonderful chapter of Luke's telling of Jesus' transforming work and witness. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now as they, meaning the disciples and others who traveled with Jesus, that may be as many as over 70, as introduced in verse 1, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what Jesus was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. I begin this morning from the insights of a Buddhist teacher named Dhanapati. And as he speaks to his audiences, including the TED audience that I was a part of electronically, he asked them about distraction in their life and rightly observes that we become experts at that thing that we practice the most. Whatever that behavior is that we spend all our time grooming and nurturing and developing becomes that which we are experts in performing and suggests that we, Americans and those in technologically advanced societies, are experts at distraction. And to illustrate that kind of proclivity that we share in the modern age, he asked an important question, one that monks wrestle with. And that is distinguishing between awareness and the mind. How would you understand the difference between awareness and your mind? And says that awareness is like a, a shining orb that illuminates the great field of your mind with all its many different compartments. Or you might think of your mind to be like a, a grand and beautiful house, a mansion with many rooms, including an attic and a basement and closets and places that you don't normally visit as often. And awareness, this orb, shines this light as it travels through the different places of your mind. Well, let's try an exercise at the risk of you falling asleep. And if you're comfortable, just shut your eyes for a moment. And let me ask you just a few questions. 
What did you do last night? Did you stay home, watch TV, go to a movie, go to a restaurant, see some friends? What did you do last night? Second question. What was the last thing you ate that you really enjoyed? Maybe that was something you ate last night. Harder question. What's something that really frustrates you? Really makes you angry, makes you want to shake your fist to the heavens. Final question. What's a place in the past, maybe a time of history, maybe a time in your own life that you would like to go back and revisit? That you'd like to experience again or experience as those who first experienced it, experienced it? Is there a place in the past you would like to revisit? Okay, when you're ready, you can open your eyes again, but that's a simple illustration that those topics that I mentioned just a moment ago through those questions were not things necessarily you were thinking about before they were mentioned to you. That you allowed me to take the light of your awareness and to shine it into different corners of your mind, different components that were already there that were stored away, but just weren't at the conscious level of you thinking about them until the light came and shone itself to those different areas, closets, attics, basements, or bright, shiny rooms that you can inhabit. That's always with you in your mind. Now, if you would be so kind, allow me to take that insight and begin to apply it to our gospel reading today in this story about Mary and Martha. Because I have to tell you that as a modern man, I tread on dangerous territory to even talk about this topic of women who are feeling stretched between professional and home responsibilities. I probably should stay away from that topic with a 10-foot pole. It might be wise to do so. So instead, I will offer to you the perspective of other pastors. First, a Lutheran minister named Stephanie Fry, who says that a woman in her parish that she serves never likes hearing this text preached because she always comes away with the sense that she never gets things exactly right. If like Martha, she works hard, she will be labeled over-functioning. And if like Mary, she sits and listens too long, well, nothing gets done. And this sentiment is echoed by a Presbyterian pastor, also writing in the Christian Century magazine as Stephanie Fry, just three years later, with the name Joy Douglas Strom, who observes, not everybody can study. The dishes will pile up. Not everyone can be confined to the kitchen. 
the rage will pile up. People may come from the east and the west and the north and the south to sit at the table of God. But somebody still has to set the table. And so we feel this tension. This tension between what must be done and what we hope we can have time left over to do. And perhaps introducing for us a false impression. Namely, that the pursuit of study and reflection is somehow more noble and holy than the calling to service. So a final quote. This one historical, reaching back a few more years from Teresa of Avila, the great Spanish contemplative and saint, who was quoted saying, Don't think that if you had a great deal of time, you would spend more of it in prayer. Get rid of that idea. For God's actions are not measured by time at all. Know that even when you are in the kitchen, our Lord is moving among the pots and the pans. Now elsewhere, Luke does not draw this dividing line between secular work and sacred experiences. God can appear to us just as likely in the midst of our vocations, while we're in the middle of doing our jobs, not in spite of them. What were those shepherds doing on that hillside long ago when the heavens opened up and the broad and wonderful proclamation was offered for the world to see? And fishermen, in the task of hopping from boat to boat, mending nets and fixing nets and getting ready for the task of catching all these fish, find then the Holy One appearing and their destiny changing. Even a tax collector can be busy in the shameful task of collecting taxes as a puppet for a a tyrant. And there's the Holy One again, calling him to a deeper sense of purpose and duty. All of these people, We're not sitting in Sunday school or in a worshipful pew when the word of God was revealed to them. And let's not overlook what Luke is doing here by placing Mary at that privileged place that traditionally and conventionally and historically has been reserved exclusively just for men in that incredible role of discerning the ways of God. For Luke, the real history of the world is not found in the halls of power, but is being written where you would least expect to find it, through the experiences of a young, powerless girl, maybe no more than 14 or 15 years of age, coming from likely a poor and nondescript family and her slightly older cousin, both tasked with bearing the word of God as forerunner and fulfillment through the miracle of their extraordinary pregnancies. If not for Luke, 
We would not know about the women spoken of at the beginning of chapter 8 who are willing to underwrite the financial expenses of Jesus' startup project. That idea of communicating God's great love and hope for the world. And we cannot forget the women who were the witnesses and proclaimers first of the resurrection. The gospel story cannot be told without these women witnesses and supporters, including Mary and Martha. This month I saw a really interesting article written by Dr. Ali Katzitz, research associate at the Wingegards Institute for the Catholic Research Center. She presented this paper just the second of this month, July the 2nd, at the International Society of Biblical Literature. And you can find a link to this article if I tell you about the link I posted in my Twitter account, but this is a sermon on distraction, so maybe I shouldn't talk about Twitter. You can find it the old-fashioned way, the uh, National Catholic Report, July 13, 2019. But here's what she said in this paper, drawing on recent archaeological research that she has discovered in ancient Christian art. She presented three of the earliest surviving images of Christians worshiping at prominent early church locations and altars to show that women are depicted there in official liturgical roles serving as deacons, priests, and even bishops. And illustrating again how the role of women serving in churches has been present at the earliest of the Christian story. Perhaps being rewritten by men in documents now lost. And over the centuries having their voice suppressed and oppressed. Either by purpose or by unwilling naivete by men. I know it's a newsflash. The voice of women has been suppressed by the church over the centuries. And for Luke, the question of who serves and leads the church is not a question of ethnicity or background or status or gender. What matters for Luke is one simple qualification. Who is willing? There is a new family, God's family, introducing a new kingdom, the beloved community. And those who have been normally pushed to the bottom will now rise up to the top. And the movement will look more like heaven than our measly attempts to manage power on earth. So the monasteries have figured some of this out. People that have been cloistered away in prayer and study and action for hundreds of years. And they say that we seek a balance as spiritual people between the vita active, the busy life of duties and responsibilities to be completed with the vita contemplative, the contemplative life. The reflective life of meaning and imagination and self-understanding. That direct and meaningful action that extends love and mercy to others must be undergirded 
with a restorative and resourceful and resupplied supply of spiritual vitality where love is first received and celebrated. So I'm tempted. I'm tempted to pencil in the ending that's not given to us here at the end of verse 42 in chapter 10. There's perhaps a little bit of room to maybe write a little bit more of the story because we really don't know what happened after Jesus says this to Martha about Mary choosing the, the better part. I mean, what if Jesus, and I don't pretend to be a coach for Jesus, he doesn't need my life coaching, but, but what if maybe Jesus at this point in my penciled verse 43 said, you know, Martha, you're right. Let's get some of these disciples and others and, and let's help you get this food on the table and then we'll come back to what we're teaching. Possibility, isn't it? Or maybe Martha just says, this other stuff can wait a while. Let me sit with you and hear what you're talking about and let me join in this teaching. The Bible doesn't give us a neat ending because the Bible never puts things in such a wrapped up, easy package. Often the story is left a little messy because we must bring to it our faith and our ability to work together and our understandings. And so the question is open-ended, but perhaps we can get back to this topic of distractions. How our attention span bounces around from topic to topic with the non-ending post and memes and commentaries on the not-so-merry-go-round circling the outrage du jour. And shall we shift ourselves into numbville, looking for an off-ramp and diversions, trying to cope with the craziness? Sometimes we feel like we're barely keeping our head above water, juggling all the demands of work and home and the troubles in the world. I wish I really had a lot of easy answers for you, but I don't, and I won't pretend I do. But I do suspect that underneath all these distractions is a more damaging disruption. How can we get so busy with our information-affluent world that we lose all reference points to acquiring true wealth and wisdom for our souls? So one of the ways I try to deal with this tension in my own life and in managing what I hope I'm thinking about and reflecting about is to make a distinction between being concerned and being worried. Because I'm supposed to be concerned. I need to be concerned. I have to be concerned. But when my concern inches into worry, I find that I am in dangerous territory and upon shaky ground. And how do I sometimes think about that difference between concern and worry? By recognizing that oftentimes when I'm thinking about worry, I'm trying to manage a result over which I have no control. 
My concern is the role I have, what I can legitimately do, the impact that my one single life may make. But when I get worried, I start thinking about all the other results that I hope will come from what I do. And it ranges the motion from weight loss all the way to geopolitical movements. Let me give you a couple of examples. I'm concerned about the environment. I'm concerned about global warming. I try to do my part in recycling. Whether the city of Lexington helps me or not, I still want to separate the plastic from the cans and the paper and make sure the paper that I do send doesn't have food on it. You know, all that kind of stuff that I can do. Now, is that going to change the course of global warming? I don't know. But when I start thinking about the warming of the planet as we've experienced the summer, I realize that I am moving into worried about things that I really have no control over whatsoever. I try to love my kids. I have loved my kids. I've been there for my kids. And one of the things that you realize as you get a little bit older and your children are no longer under your thumb is they have a life of their own. And I can do all that I hope to do for them, but I can't control the results of their life. At least I shouldn't try to control the results of their life. That I do my best. I am concerned about my role. But where I move into worry is where I want to think about the results of the choices that they're making and the consequences. And don't they know better? And the spiritual practice of doing what we can when we can allows us to understand that we have limits. That we can do stuff and we should be concerned about things and we need to be engaged in this world and not disengaged and always moving toward distractions. But I will not put the pressure on myself to believe that the salvation of the world is up to me because I'm a person of faith and a person that recognizes this topic has been settled by God and Jesus Christ, and I put faith in the one who is the source for me of all faith. And so my orb of illumination is like the moon. It's reflective. It's not sourced with all the energy and all the supply of what's needed, but instead... It seeks to shine the love of God through me. And that as I draw close in contemplation and reflection, as I seek a spiritual life with community and friends and doing what is good and healthy and right in the midst of the church, that I find my appropriate role, my true identity, my best destiny in Christ. And I allow that to bring to my mind the awareness of what can it might be done. And there is joy and freedom and possibility in new life. You see, when you think that you don't have control over your mind, you do nothing. It's just this big, vast thing. You say, I, I can't really concentrate. My mind won't let me. No. Let's switch that topic to my mind isn't distracted. My awareness is distracted. And I have control over my awareness. 
we bring our life at the feet of Jesus. And he illuminates all the rest. complete our service now with the hymn singing of uh, hymn 610, a time of response, a time of bringing our commitment to God, a time for you to be invited to open your hearts and minds and lives to the grace and love that is here for you. Let us stand to sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. It is so good to be with you today in this time of worship, and I'm so thankful to have shared this Sunday morning with you. Um, as you leave, uh, let me encourage you for a few things. First, you heard of many of the announcements uh, that are in the insert. Take that home with you. But as you also leave, uh, I didn't realize this till this morning, but I forgot. I had sent in some pictures from Ireland when I was away. They're in the foyer TV if you want to get a donut or look at those pictures, or hang out a little longer, uh, they'll be scrolling through. Uh, that may be also incentive for you just to stick around and say hello to your neighbors, and I hope uh, that you might do that and welcome your church family. Uh, we are glad to have our family from Colorado with us this morning, and so Greg, Amy, and JD, and Vivian, welcome to Kentucky this weekend. Always glad to have you here. Um, and also, we have a special guest, Bob Baker and his wife Debbie are, are with us this morning. 
Uh, Bob recently retired as the pastor of 20-something years, 27, but who's counting? 27 years at Calvary Baptist Church downtown. Bob and Debbie, welcome here. Glad to have you with us. Say hello to them as well. Uh, sorry, I couldn't let you totally get by without uh, acknowledging your presence and saying glad to have you here uh, with us. We're glad all of you are here. We give God thanks for you and uh, look forward to the summer unfolding and the temperatures dropping. There's a rumor. There's a rumor. May you bow now for the benediction. Thank you, God, for the gift of life, the movement of each day, the passing of each season beautiful in its own way. May you now bless us with the living, infinite love that you provide to those to receive it. May it work within our hearts. May it give wisdom to our minds. May it give light into our darkness and clarity to our confusion. May it give meaning to all our lives and experiences through you, the loving God, full of glory, imaged in the power of your Son, and maintained by the gift of your Spirit. Amen.